pray with me briefly. Lord, may the, me- the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Uh, so, I don't know about you, but I as- assume that I'm not alone in b- having concern for many of my friends and loved ones who I, you know, have worries about. They're, they may be far from the Lord, they may be struggling, and... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was, my heart was especially heavy for especially some younger people that I've met or that I know well, that I've sort of watched grow up, and I'm seeing them kind of going off the path, and it's, you know, it makes, makes my heart break. It's just hard. So I was praying for a couple in particular that I was aware of, and I opened up my Bible to Psalm 107, which my younger self many years ago, it was an old Bible, had circled. I'm like, I wonder what was in this psalm that made me circle it. And um, as I read it, I really felt the Lord speaking to me so much about how can I pray for and what can I do for those that I'm, I have concerns that I see are in distress um, or who aren't in distress but are, are unaware of some of the dangers that they're, they're in. And as we've read the psalm together, I hope that you kind of notice the structure. There's a little intro- introduction at the beginning, and then it describes four groups. And I would summarize them by saying we have the, the wanderers, the prisoners, the fools, and the merchants. And as you saw, they all came to a point of crisis, and they all cried out to the Lord in their crisis, and they all were saved or delivered or brought out from their distress. All are instructed afterwards to give thanks to the Lord and to share uh, testimony for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So there's this rhythm of crying out to the Lord and God hearing and rescuing and then telling of his deeds or of giving thanks for what he has done for us, which I would add then when we tell of the things that God has done, then others hear that and it plants a seed when they're in distress that they will also cry out to the Lord in their distress. So just looking briefly at these groups, the first group is the the wanderers and it doesn't give us any indication that they have uh, been rebellious or disobedient. They're, they're wandering. They cannot find a place to settle. Uh, they're hungry. They're thirsty. Um, they're in the desert. They don't have what they need. And, and I, I love the, the translation. They're a city where they could settle. Because, of course, some of this is literal. I mean, the Israelites did wander in the desert but thinking metaphorically also of when we're praying for people, sometimes they are just wandering and they're looking for a place to land or to settle, settle their hearts and minds and they can't find it. Uh, The next group is more, um, they're the prisoners and they have actually been rebellious, sinned against God, disobeyed, and it says that they're being punished. It says, they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. And then 
he subjected them to bitter labor. So there's sort of a, a situation where they're being, they're in prison or they're captive, again, thinking metaphorically. We know those that are, that are imprisoned by their own sin. Uh, they also cry out and are, are saved. Then there's the fools in the third group. And they're not as directly in opposition to God it doesn't say that they've been disobedient, but they have become fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities, which makes it sound more like they're, they've made sinful choices and they are dealing with the consequences of their sin. And they also have, they refuse food and are near death. And then what God does to rescue them is he heals them. So this kind of speaks to disease as well as consequences of, of sin. The fourth group, uh, we probably more of us identify with, although certainly we've maybe been in those other groups as well, but the fourth group are just the people going about their business, their merchants on the seas. And they are even, you know, they see the works of the Lord, the wonderful deeds in the depth, but then there's a tempest, there's a storm, and then their courage melts away and they're at their wits end and they cry out to the Lord. And I, I think we can probably all relate to that where we're just going about our business and life is good, life is normal, and then something happens and there is, suddenly we find ourselves in a storm and that's, that's, our, that's our crisis. Um, and God allows those storms. Sometimes he stirs up those storms. In the case of each of these four groups, after they have cried out to the Lord and he has rescued them, and it describes the various ways that they've, that they've been rescued. In fact, let's just look at that briefly. So the first group, he leads them by a straight way to a city where they can settle and he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The next group, he uh, brings them out of darkness, breaks away their change, chains, breaks down gates of bronze, and cuts through bars of iron. It's a pretty radical, drastic, you know, going from being prisoner to being free. The fools, he sends out his word and heals them and rescues them from the grave. They're on the brink of death, he pulls them back. The merchants, he stills the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. So the rescuing there is much more of a, a calming and return to normal or in this, I think it's more with a new appreciation for the Lord, for his power, for his rescue, his deliverance. Then in every case, it says, let them give thanks. And the first two kind of expand on what God has done for them. So let him give thanks, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The next one says, give, let them give thanks for the Lord, to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, which is in everyone. But for expanding on what he does, he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. The next two, it expands more beyond giving thanks and naming what you're giving thanks for. It says, let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. 
So testimony about what God has done. The fourth group, same thing. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So there's also the thanksgiving, but in public and in places of power and influence, the council of the elders. So a few applications now that we've looked at this. Um, thinking of my question of what can I do for those that I see that are wandering and unable to settle, or they're prisoners, they're stuck in sin, they're stuck in addiction, they're, they're trapped. Uh, the fools, the ones that we see our, our friends making sinful choices, and of course maybe these are us too. I'm totally not discounting that we might be or have been in these places, but I'm also thinking of how we pray for others. Um, how do we pray for those who are caught up in a storm? So this cycle, they cry out to the Lord, he delivers them, and then they give thanks. It begins with them crying out. And as I was praying for my friends with, you know, great concern and a feeling of helplessness, what can I do for them? It really came over me that you know, there's no mention here of a third party doing anything to rescue them. Uh, it's really between them and God for them to come to this place of deepest need and to experience such distress that they cry out to the Lord. And sometimes we have to let people come to that point or we have to even pray for that, that to happen. So... There's a comfort in knowing that it's really God has to bring them to that place. And when they get there, they have to respond to God. We cannot do that for them. But that doesn't let us off the hook to intercede, for, not intercede for them. So as I was thinking about how to pray, I'm realizing I can pray the words of this psalm. Depending on which group I see them in, we can pray for our friends using the psalm. We can also pray for a crisis for them. We, we want to pray for protection and we want to pray for rescue before maybe someone actually is experiencing the need for it. And let's see. Another thing, if you are someone who is in a crisis and you are crying out and wondering why God is not rescuing, why he's not coming, I was noticing in the psalm that there's no mention of, you know, suddenly, instantly, immediately, the, the troubles disappeared. But there are words like, he led them, he brought them, he sent out his word, he healed them, he stilled the storm, he guided them to a safe haven. So sometimes that deliverance is a process and it takes time and we have to walk through it. And there are things that we only learn from walking through that process of suffering and distress and crying out to God and listening for his answer. And sometimes it doesn't come immediately. And sometimes we have to continue to cry out. And we have to learn something about trusting through suffering. And in the end, that part of our journey becomes part of our testimony as well. And that's the next application is the testimony. It's so important 
to look back at our own lives and the ways that we have been in distress and we have cried out and God has met us and then telling of it. I mean, the psalm is really clear. Each of these groups, when they cried out and God rescued them, it says, let them tell, let them speak, let them make sacrifices of praise. You know, we're instructed to do something with that. We don't just receive it and move on and forget about it. It's how God plants seeds of belief in others so that then when they are in distress, they remember that and they cry out. Um, and I have a couple of examples. Um, one is actually my son Aiden, who's sitting there in the back, was in a period of his life where he had kind of veered off the path and been rescued, cried out to God, and come back on a path. And he was actually so relieved to be back in a place of, he felt so much freedom from bondage and release to be back um, in a good place with the Lord. And he happened to get into a conversation with another young man who was in a very similar position. They both had fathers in church leadership, both grew up knowing the, the word, the Lord, what the Lord said, and this young man had veered, started veering off in kind of the same direction that Aiden had just returned from. And they had a long conversation driving around in the car, and Aiden, by telling what God had done for him, really led this young man to renew his, um, give his life back to the Lord again and renew his commitment to the Lord. And, you know, he, he spoke in the assembly about what Aiden had, had done for him by bringing him back to that place of, uh, you know, crying out to the Lord himself. Um, years later, Aiden actually also spoke to Keith that, you know, comes, I would hope he'd be here tonight, but, uh, Keith was in a, I, I actually got permission from Aiden and Keith to share this, but Keith had also been in a place of distress, deep distress, and he one night called up Aiden and said, I need to talk to you, um, and he knew Aiden was a Christian, and they also drove around in a car <laughs> for a long time, and uh, he, Aiden was able to speak words of encouragement and peace to him and pray for him and say, come to church, I think you might receive what you need there. And if, if you know Keith, kind of the rest is history. He started coming. He said, I still have questions and doubts. I want to meet with Father Eric, but I feel like this is the road I need to be on. Um, and, you know, it started with Aiden just sharing some of his journey with Keith and, and praying for him. And um, I have other examples, but I will skip them for now. So, in verses 1 through 3, at the beginning, so we've kind of covered the four, the four groups, but at the beginning, um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever, in a lot of the Psalms, but then let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And it goes on, those he redeemed from all these things. Um, it's again, it's just a call to give testimony and the testimony can breed testimony. I'm telling you what Aiden told me, which Aiden told his friends, and it, the cycle turns you know, on itself that we get encouragement from that. And um, it's, it's a way to be available to our, our friends and those that we know um, may at some point cry out to us in our distress. Um, in fact, I will tell you one more story. Um, Stuart, our bishop, said that when he was a 
way before he was a bishop, and he was working in theater, or he was working for InterVarsity, but he was involved with some theater production in Chicago, and met a guy there, and then 20 years later, he got a phone call from that same young man who said, I think I need to know about God, or you know, I need to know the Lord, and you're the only Christian I think I've ever met. <laughs> so Stewart had somehow indicated to this guy that he was a Christian. And in, in the Chicago theater world, there's you know, not a lot of Christians. So he remembered that. He looked Stewart up, and he's now at Resurrection, Church of the Resurrection, where Stewart is now the bishop, and he has given his life to the Lord. And that, you know, but he, there, he was in his moment of distress, he thought of someone that he knew could help him reach out to God and cry out, receive that deliverance that he desperately needed. Last, last thing I will say, let's see. Then, oh yeah, looking at the final part of our psalm, starting with verse 33 and following. You know, when I read this, I was so surprised <laughs> because it says he took rivers and turned them into a desert flowing springs and turned it into thirsty ground, fruitful land into a salt waste? Oh, because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs, and he brought the hungry there to live, and they founded a city where they could settle, and there's fields and vineyards and fruitful harvests, and he blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased. Um, and then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. So they're back in distress again. And he who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. That seems to imply some discipline. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. So there's clearly this, like, he, he gives and he takes away, just like in Job, right? The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He increases and then he decreases. You know, he, he raises up and then he humbles. And as I have meditated on that, I feel like there, there is such a comfort in knowing that no matter what circumstances we're in, that it is something God has overseen, that it's part of a journey that he's taking us on. It's not necessarily a sign of a lack of God's love or his presence when we are experiencing distress and crisis. Sometimes that's just part of this uh, journey that, that he's taking us on. And that, that it all comes under this uh, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. It's all part of the love of God. Even the increasing and the decreasing. Even the raising up and the lowering down. What, even the being lost, being in prison, wandering, it's all under God's love, and it's all under God's um, sovereign provision for our deliverance and for his saving love for us. So that's where I want to end it. Mm -hmm.